I was in the delivery room, staring down at my wife, Amy, who'd been in labor for hours. Her hair was, was matted to her sweaty face and she was in obvious pain as she was breathing through it. And she was crushing my hand and hers and, and I was in obvious pain and I was, I was breathing through it as well. And, and the midwife who was there giving us just this play-by-play, she looked at me with this intense gaze and said, Amy is in transition. Now, Amy had read every child book, childbirth book in the library, as is her nature. Me? I hadn't read any of them, but I did watch a YouTube video on the miracle of childbirth, which is a horror flick I wouldn't recommend to anybody. But I knew from my limited knowledge that transition was a very big deal. It was the final stage before her body would jettison the baby. Now, I don't think jettison is the, is the medical term, but again, I'm working on one video here, okay? So transition is known, it, that's when the, it, the intensity multiplies. Things begin to happen. I was a great husband. I knew the birth plan. They would talk to me. I would talk to my wife. So the midwife says, Amy's in transition. I turn to my dear, gracious, loving wife, and I say, Amy, you're in transition. And she looks back to me with this strange stare and says, Amy's not here. (laughs) And that's how I knew I had truly lost her to the transition of childbirth. You see, that experience for Amy and I was, was more than a transition of just having a baby. It was a transition that changed everything in our life. You see, because soon after that, I got, to, I got to hold my son. I'd held a lot of babies up to this point, but I'd never held my baby. This was a real transition. And by the time that Amy and Elijah and I left the hospital, we'd gone through a transition of heart based on an experience that we had just had together. Amy and I have never been the same since. Now, I've read books about parenting. I've been a youth pastor. I've been a family pastor. I've been to, to conferences. I've talked to parents. I've talked to kids. I've, I've had tests and I've, been, I've mentored. But going through that experience, more happened in that room than any book or video or conference or, or, or piece of information I had ever received about childbirth and, and being a dad. That transition transformed my entire life during that experience. See, because not only was a baby born, but, but something was birthed deep in my heart that would never leave me the same. I had a new identity. I was now daddy. And that changed how I saw myself, how I saw the world, and, and how I behaved and how I believed. Now, you may have not been through a, a, a childbirth experience, but, but you've had experiences that have left you changed forever. There are times in our life when we experience something so unique that we'll never see ourselves or the world the same again. And today is one of those days in the Bible. You see, this very day, today, is a holy day. Today we celebrate Pentecost. And Pentecost is perhaps one of the greatest transitions in the entire Bible. At Pentecost, there was, ex- there was an experience that no one would see themselves or the world the same again. Now, we've been in the Old Testament with Moses and, and Joshua for months now. And you're, you may be wondering, like, how does this New Testament day of Pentecost, what does it have to do with, with, with the Moses and what we've been talking about? And I'm glad you asked because Pentecost has its roots deep in the Old Testament. And in fact, I'll be posting a supplemental sermon that's going to give you some ancient connections between what happened with Moses in the desert and this Pentecost we're talking about today. So look for that on iTunes. But here's what you need to know for today. And, and this is from earlier in the Old Testament times, that God had Moses built a tabernacle. And it was God's presence would, would fill it and dwell there in that tabernacle. He gave Moses specific instructions. 
like measurements, materials, what exactly it would look like. It almost fills two books of the Bible. And in the back of the tabernacle, there was this sacred place called the holy place. And then there was this curtain, this veil. And on the other side of that veil was the holy of holies, where the spirit of God would reside. Now listen to this in Exodus 40, verse 34 and 35. Moses finished the tabernacle, and then a cloud came down and covered over it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses couldn't even get inside because the cloud and the glory of the Lord covered it and filled it. In the Old Testament, God's presence came down and dwelled therein. And I love, I love the Hebrew word here for glory. It's kavod. Now, when we think of glory, we think of something like shiny, like glorious. But kavod is different. You see, kavod, God's glory, it's, it's, it's thick. It has mass. It has, it has weight. It actually means weight. God's glory didn't flash, but it had weight and substance, substance to it. And it was so heavy on the place that Moses couldn't even get inside. And the presence of God would come down and dwell among his people for centuries in that specific place in the temple. When Jesus came to the earth, there was a temple there in Jerusalem built to the same exact specifications. And they would offer offerings and religious rites, and they had that same thick curtain, that veil, and behind it, the Holy of Holies, and behind it, the place where God's presence was to dwell. But then Jesus was crucified, and there hanging on the cross, we pick up in Matthew 27, verse 50. And when Jesus had cried out in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom. Jesus died, and at that moment, the veil, the one that had separated divinity from humanity, was torn. That created a barrier between the holiest place and the rest of the world. And in, in an instant, it was, it was ripped from top to bottom. Now, we've talked about this before. If, if a human had walked in and seen this massive curtain and began to rip it, they would have ripped it from the bottom up. But human's hand Human hands didn't, didn't rend this veil. God himself tearing from heaven downward as the Spirit of God left the temple. At that moment, we entered transition. Things intensified. They picked up momentum. Change is coming. From there, Jesus was buried, and then he resurrects, and he speaks to his followers. Listen to what he says to them. He says in Acts 1, verse 4, Don't leave Jerusalem. But wait for the gift my Father promised, which you've heard me speak about. He's talking about the Holy Spirit here. For John, the, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit dwells on you. He says this in Luke 24, 9. I'm going to send you what my Father had promised. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. The word for power here is dunamis. And it means, it's where we get the word dynamite, like dynamic, a power of incredible force. Jesus tells them, you wait, for, you wait in your house because God is sending something. Now, this is a gift. and This gift won't be boring. It's not going to be stuffy. It's not going to be churchy. It won't be religious or judgmental, and it won't be weak, and it's not going to be like some non-event. No, when this gift comes, it's going to have divine dunamis, power from the throne of heaven. 
And then Jesus leaves the earth and his followers, they obey these final words and they go back into town. For nine days they quarantine and, and then it comes to the holy week of, of Pentecost when hundreds of thousands of pilgrims would, would show up in town to go to the temple for this Hebrew high holiday. And we find in Acts 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. The holy day arrives. And what are they doing? They're doing what Jesus told them to do. Go into town and wait. Sheltering in place and waiting for God to move in power. And move in power he does. The one foretold from ancient days, the Holy Spirit, known in the Old Testament as the Ruach Kodesh, comes to the earth in a brand new way. Acts 2 again. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, the sound of a blowing and violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and, and came to rest on each of them. I mean, can you imagine this small group? I mean, we, we have growth groups in our church, and I, I can't imagine being a part of this growth group. You're, you're there in your living room. You're, you're in the middle of some 20-minute Bethel song when all of a sudden a violent wind starts blowing inside. And then fire forms, and it, it splits off into individual flames, and it, it comes to descend and rest on your head. I mean, sign me up for that group. I want to be a part of that growth group. But we have to notice something. The wind doesn't rage and the fire doesn't fall and then that's it. Like they didn't just sing another song and then hug and go home. They didn't go back to their normal life. This was transition. When the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, there was authentic life change. And something about these men and women was fundamentally affected. We see that in the next verse. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues, other tongues, as the Spirit enabled them. Now, here's where 50% of you get excited and 50% of you get nervous. When we hear the word Pentecost, or we think of a certain denomination that maybe not, wasn't even formed until the 20th century, way, way after what we're talking about today, others react to the speaking in tongues. And, and we hear that statement and we think of it based on our experience or based on what we've seen in our past. But what I want you to do today is, is to see this event as those first believers did. You see, they had zero context for this type of event. This was the first Pentecost ever like this. They didn't have to fight through an old memory of a, attending their, their grandma's Pentecostal church as a child. They didn't have to, to fight through some, some vision of a televangelist on, on stage, on TV. No, no, no. They're experiencing it real time as the Spirit is moving in them and they have no context. Now, I would love for you to lay down your thoughts on the matter and experience this with them and see what God has in this Pentecost. The Spirit has descended on a small group and they swiftly exited the building because the next thing we read is an account of them outside and there's people from all nations gathered. Remember this? They came for the pilgrimage for this holiday. It says this in verse 5. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation staying in Jerusalem. They heard the loud noise. Everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear, to hear their own language being spoken. They were amazed. They said, how can this be? These people are from Galilee. Like, they're from Rifle. And yet we hear them speaking our own native tongue. And then they go through in verse 9, and they list all these different countries all over Asia Libya, Cyrene, Rome. And it says this, And we all hear these people speaking in our own language about the wonderful things God has done. 
And they stood there amazed and perplexed. What does this mean? They ask each other. The Holy Spirit came in power and the followers of Jesus were transformed. They were changed. Supernatural things began to happen. And, and things that people can't fake. Because God, or because the people were hearing them in their own language. God was moving and people were hearing them in their own language. This, this wasn't a human thing. You, you don't fake a language that you don't know and have somebody hear them, hear them fluently in their own tongue. Many different tongues. See, the Spirit was translating. Whatever they heard, they were hearing it in their language. I just want to pull aside here briefly to discuss part of the transition that happens here in Pentecost because it's, I'd never seen it before until praying through this and the events of this week. You see, right now in our country, you can't turn on the internet, social media, the news, or have a conversation without hearing and talking about the brokenness in our world and especially our nation. I mean, innocent people killed. Anger spilling out into the streets. People hurt. People desperate. Despicable root of racism and violence. And here in Acts 2 at Pentecost, there's something for us to hear about this. Because this is, a, this is a transition that applies to us now. Before Pentecost, God dwelled in a temple in one nation, in one location. Those people were his chosen people by design. Jesus came. He was in one body, in one location. He would preach one sermon at a time, in one language primarily to one people group. But at Pentecost, it's transition. At Pentecost, God declared, no longer will I speak one language. No longer will I live in one nation. No longer will I be in one place to worship. You see, the first thing that happened when the Spirit of God came to the earth on Pentecost was that God declared, I am a God for all nations and all peoples of all languages. That's the first thing that happened at Pentecost. The Spirit in that moment translated God's goodness, it says, into their native tongue. It's not just for those of you who come to my place and who know my language. No, 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 no. God said it's all, all people. The first sermon of the Holy Spirit was one that declared all people have value to God and that all people are loved and that all people can have a seat at God's table. This means that the people that don't look like you, the people who don't vote like you, this means the people that don't speak like you or, or act like you or who raise their kids different than you or, or come from a different country than you. Pentecost was a transition that declared all people have equal value in God's heart. God's salvation is for all humanity. So the next time you turn on the television and you, you hear somebody demonizing someone that God has deep love and value for, well, maybe instead of joining in the demonization, you would, you would stop and declare God's love for that person and pray for them. Pray for those that don't look like you, who, who don't vote like you or behave like you or, or believe like you. Pray for those from the, from the lowest jail cell to the, to the highest office. Pray for them all. Because Jesus said in Matthew 5, he commanded this, love and pray for your enemies. And perhaps you've made some enemies in the news lately. You, you may have declared some enemies of some people that God has high value for. Some people that Jesus died for. Pentecost reminds us of a new work that God has done 
And that it's available to all people of all nations, of all colors, of all languages. And personally, I'm very thankful for this fact. You see, I've taken an ancestry test. And I'm not of Hebrew origin. Which makes me very grateful for Pentecost because Jesus wasn't American. He, he didn't speak English. But at Pentecost, God invited me and my background into his family. You see, may all nations find unity in Jesus, and may we love and stand for those that God loves. And may we stand for those that Jesus died for. Pentecost was a transition that threw down any bitterness and any racism and declared a new work for all nations, of all peoples, for all languages. It's the first thing that happened when the Spirit hit. But it goes on. Because next, Peter stands up and delivers his first sermon since he's been filled with the Holy Spirit. And he ends this sermon. He ends it and he tells everybody, you need, you need Jesus, y'all. And guess what the result was? It says here in verse 41, those who, believed that Peter, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. <laughs> I mean, as a pastor, that's a banner day. I remember my first sermon. It was supposed to be 25 minutes long. I spoke so fast, it was seven minutes long. I made one kid cry, and then I just sat down. Peter's first sermon, 3,000 people come to Jesus. And why? What, why such a great effect? It's because of Pentecost. It's the Holy Spirit active. That mighty wind and fire of the Spirit, it changed Peter. In the last book of the Bible, before this one, it didn't end well for Peter. He had been under public pressure and he had crumbled and he had denied Jesus. He had fled, he had mourned and wept bitterly. And then he just quit and he had gone back to fishing. He had gone back to his old life. It was done. Now Jesus sought him out and forgave him and, and told him to go wait for the Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit showed up, the information that was in Peter's head transitions to the deepest marrow of his bones, his heart, his, his soul. Peter comes out of Pentecost transformed. His soul was on fire, set ablaze by the Holy Spirit. C.S. Lewis, one of the highest Christian minds we've had, he says that one of the greatest evidences of the transforming power of salvation and the Holy Spirit isn't found in the words of Peter's sermon, but in Peter's personal transformation. You see, the disciples before this were so scared. When Jesus was murdered in front of them and killed, they scattered, they ran. But at Pentecost, they streamed into the streets like Roman candles, lighting up the Roman order, the city of Jerusalem, and the world. Something happened between the end of the last gospel and Acts 2 that transformed normal men and women who were afraid to speak in public into bold, fearless, and passionate individuals who love God and love people in a way that, that didn't just change their city, didn't just change their region, changed the world and changed history. Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, the transition. This is the first and foremost evidence of the Holy Spirit, authentic and real life change. You see, where the Holy Spirit is, there should be godly activity and supernatural evidence of his power. Where the Holy Spirit is, there should be godly activity and supernatural evidence of his power. The Bible clearly talks about the gifts of the Spirit. 
it clearly talks about the fruits of the Spirit. I mean, our character should be affected by the Holy Spirit. Our faith should be deeper because of the Spirit. Our love should be limitless because of the Spirit. Our wisdom should be divine because of the Spirit. And our boldness should just be unbridled because of the Spirit. The mark of someone who follows Jesus is that the Holy Spirit lives in them. And the evidence that the Spirit lives in someone is power and transformation. Remember that story of Amy and I? Nine months of carrying the baby. Then we had labor. Then transition. And then birth. And we left the hospital with a new life. And we would never be the same. If the Old Testament is pregnant with the promises, Jesus was delivered and transitioned us into a a new covenant. And at Pentecost, we walk out of this transition of the Holy Spirit baptism with a new life. And nothing should be the the same for you and I. Everything should be different because of the Holy Spirit. Pentecost changed everything. God used to dwell in places. But after Pentecost, God dwells in people. God, or we used to have to go to a priest to help us and give a, give a sacrifice or an offering. But now it says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, don't you know that your body is the, is the temple of the Holy Spirit? And in the old temple, the kavod would, would descend and, and fill the holy of holies. But now, because of Jesus, in Jesus, the kavod resides within you. Like you are the holy of holies for the Holy Spirit to dwell. And because of that, we should not be the same people as before. And Tim Keller talks a lot about kavod, this, this glory. To glorify means to give importance or to give beauty. To give importance and to give beauty. And in John 16, 13, and 14, Jesus says himself, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will glorify me. Like the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. You want to find somebody who, who, who has a lot of Holy Spirit, who a lot of Holy Spirit active in their life? They talk a lot more about Jesus than the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. And to glorify means to make important, to make beautiful. The Holy Spirit will make Jesus more important and more beautiful in your life. Remember, glory means, it means weighty. It means heavy. And so for some of us listening today, we should just admit we take Jesus very lightly. I mean, our love for Jesus is dainty. It's cute. Jesus carries very little weight in our lives. Point blank, if that's you, you need more Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit wants to glorify Jesus in your heart. That means that that Jesus will carry more weight in your life, that he'll be more important, that, that he'll flow through you and in you in a more beautiful way. You see, the Spirit, when active in our life, produces activity and evidence. If the evidence of God in your life is lacking, if the activity of God in my life is lacking, it's not because Jesus is lacking power. It probably means that, that we need more Holy Spirit active in our life. And you have to give Him permission for that. He's not gonna force His way in. He won't take it. You must offer your heart. We must ask, invite, and seek and surrender our lives to the Holy Spirit. Which is why in the Bible, it talks over and over about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
You know, when I'm baptized, I'm surrendering myself to somebody else as they immerse me, leaving the old below, and, and I come up new. There's a transition between what was, what was dry, and what is different, what is wet. Have you surrendered yourself to the Spirit to be immersed into a new life, to, to leave behind your cautious old self in the water below, coming up with, with fire and glory, that dunamis, that divine, just dynamic power alive within you. Let's stop here and let, let's, for once, let's just put down, let's, let's, let's strip away our spiritual pretense that says, I'm good, I'm great, I love Jesus, I'm good. Let's, let's stop the spiritual pretense and get real honest for one minute. You see, there's probably some part of you that wishes that God felt more real, if we're honest. There's probably some sins that you're involved in that, that just don't bother you anymore, do they? And there's some sins you're involved with that you just can't seem to escape. There's probably some beliefs that you've picked up along the way that, that don't align with God's word. There's probably some part of you that doesn't consider the salvation of other people at all. There's probably some drift in your faith away from Jesus being the only one, as he declared. There's probably some coasting in your faith that maybe he's not all that important on a daily basis. If any of these are true, and I would guess that, that all of them are in some varying degree as they are in my life, then there's information that hasn't led to transformation. There's fact that hasn't grown into faith. There's seeds of truth that haven't put down roots of truth. There's information that hasn't transitioned into transformation. And this is where we need to ask the Holy Spirit to fill us. You see, the Spirit transitions faith from just an accessory to a robust reality. Like for some of us, our faith is more decoration than devotion. The Spirit transforms passive faith into a passionate pursuit. The Spirit transitions apathetic spectating to extreme ownership. The Spirit transforms you from a, a church consumer to someone who's consumed by God. The Spirit calls fair-weather Jesus fans to become faithful Jesus followers. The Spirit turns a religious hobby into a redemptive mission. The Spirit transforms us from, from seeking judgment on others to seeking justice on their behalf. The Spirit calls people out of their church building and into a life of being, whether there's a building or not. What a lot of us need, if we're honest, it's not more information. We're not even obeying the information we, we already know, if we're honest. Our knowledge is greater than our obedience already. What we need, no, what we need most is deep, soul-level transformation. What we need is the Holy Spirit to, to, to fill us and fuel us. We need Pentecost, like, like now. All these years later, on this day, we need Pentecost. And today, if you want to begin this journey of a, of a fresh faith and a fresh fire, if you want to see transformation happen in your character and your behavior, if you want to see freedom and redemption come to your private life, if you want to see boldness and the, and the fruit of God come alive in your public life, well, I want you to pray with me, like, like right now. And, and oftentimes we do like the whole quiet prayer under your breath. Listen, 
What if we prayed with the boldness? What if we asked with the boldness that, that, that our hearts desired with? Let's pray to God that he would have us today experience our own Pentecost. Because if you're watching this in a room, if you're waiting for God to show up and do something right now, well, you're doing exactly what those first disciples were doing 1,987 years ago, this very day. So let's, let's join our prayer with them. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to fall and fill in a fresh way on us as it did them. So if you would, put your, put your hand over your heart. And I want you to pray out loud with me. Pray this. God, you promised your spirit. I believe Jesus died and rose again. My life is yours. I'm here to receive. I'm here for Pentecost. Holy Spirit of God Almighty, I surrender myself to you. I ask for you to baptize me. Fill me. Transform me. Move in me however you desire. My life is yours. And to finish, just on your own, just thank him. Thank the Spirit in your own words for what he has done and what he's doing. And I would encourage you to spend some time praying after this, to continue to pray and, and ask and, and plead, Holy Spirit, move in my life. Fill me. Maybe you go find a, a private time after this if you're with people and you go find, you get in your prayer space, maybe in your car, and you ask the Holy Spirit this very thing, baptize me, fill me, fuel me, give me a Pentecost. I would encourage you to not have this be the end of your pursuit of the Holy Spirit. Like, let's not have this be a one and done sermon. There is so much more about the Holy Spirit. And, and yes, I could have preached a thousand messages on the Holy Spirit today, which means that there is 999 of you out there who, who are wondering why I left this one thing out. But, but here's my final challenge to you. The more the Holy Spirit is active in your heart, in your soul, in your mind, the greater weight that Jesus holds in your life and the greater evidence and the greater activity of the Spirit's fruit people will see. Pursue the Spirit of the living God. The Spirit has left the building. He doesn't indwell temples. doesn't indwell places. He indwells people. And He wants to fill you and have you have a Pentecost. So continue to pray daily. Holy Spirit, fill me. Pursue Him. Pursue knowledge of Him. Read about Him. Orchard, I love you. I want to see the Spirit transform us. I want to see the, the Spirit change us as a church and as a people. I love you and I'm praying for you. And as always, love God, love people, and may the Spirit transform us. God bless.